Welcome to ISCI's Oceanside Chat, A New Light. This podcast was created to inspire, motivate, and provide insight through industry professionals sharing personal stories, career aspirations, and practical advice. In this episode, we spoke with Tyler Mincy, a mechanical engineer who shipped the first-generation iPhone in his first full-time job. Now, he is a partner at Bolt, an early-stage VC fund investing at the intersection of the physical and digital space. Time to get your feet wet in the business world and join us down by the water as we have an Oceanside Chat. Episode 5, Part 2, Intersections. So where do you think are the potential area that for sort of the big innovation coming up in the near future? That's such a big, a big question. I think for, I'll maybe just speak to like a couple areas of interest uh, for us at, at Bolt that we've been investing around uh, recently. If you look at our portfolio, there's about half of the companies that are building a consumer product, half the companies are building an enterprise product. Um, we actually like to do a mix of the two. And a, a very interesting trend right now is companies are actually blending the line between the two. I think there, there's lots of people that are kind of working in, like, in a gig mode or are doing a combination of, their just employment structure is different where they're, they're working for a number of small side projects or so they're self-employed in different ways. And so they're, they're switching modality really quickly between what's personal and, and what's enterprise. And so that blending of the line of like, what is prosumer or things like that and how that's like not even a, a term that applies anymore is really, really interesting. Um, to us. Um, there's some investments we made. There's a company called Heroes Jobs that makes a kind of a hiring platform that's all based on short form videos, like a snap or Instagram stories type, type interaction between hiring managers and job posts and, and the applicants that are applying. And that's like a purely 100% enterprise tool, but it's really drafting off of a lot of consumer content trends that, that's, I think, very, very interesting and really addressing a whole demographic of people that like would love to never touch LinkedIn in their whole life. So, so kind of tapping into some interesting generational demand trend as well. There's another company called Audigo that makes a um, kind of a mobile-centric audio and video like recording and publishing platform. So really uh, targeted at the creator economy, really simplified term. But it's really it's it's very interesting. Like those people are constantly publishing content to like many different platforms spontaneously and at a higher rate and volume than ever before. And that's something that like the product feels very consumery in some ways. But those, the people are using it for their livelihood as well, more and more. So that like blending of the line between the two things is, is really um, interesting. It's just, there are different constraints. Ultimately, innovation like comes out of moving constraints. Like if your goals and objectives and constraints all stay the same and you just try to redesign things, you're going to land in the same place that things have been you know, done historically. And it's really when those constraints move that it actually like opens up a new design space for you to be able to make new products and services and things like that. So, so really like tapping into those, those moving constraints around what, what markets are looking for and what, what users are demanding are, are really the kind of interesting spot for innovation. Yeah, very interesting. I think Zoom is a probably a real example is blending, you know, blurring the line between the consumer and the enterprise. Yep. You know, when you needed to have a video conference with your friends versus your work. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Very and nice. like, I think green tech is like another interesting example of that too. Like we're very excited about sustainability in general. We really believe we've, we've like reached a tipping point in consumer awareness that's translating to brands really prioritizing sustainable approaches to supply chains and the products that they're developing and, and ESG reporting. That's actually, um, I think, very transformative. That's really exciting. But we have to like acknowledge like we've been talking about green tech and environmentalism for decades and decades. And it hasn't like there, there's been some parts that have been successful and others that haven't really digging into why what's working and what, where or are the uh, kind of boundaries for innovation are really important. 
Yeah. So I would like to encourage our audience to ask questions. I will start picking questions pretty soon. So the next couple of minutes, Taylor, I'd like to deep dive into the relationships between technology and innovation. So if we think of innovation as an ecosystem, what is the engine to keep it going? Ooh. Can you like say a little more about that too? Like, what do you mean as like innovation being an ecosystem? Yeah, because there's a perception out there. I think people sometimes got confused. You know, does technology equal to innovation? Oh. And why? And why not? Oh yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like technology. I think is a tool that kind of gives you a new design palette, basically to to approach something differently that maybe allows you to like achieve some functionality that couldn't exist before or helps you do something faster or lower cost kind of just in, like can be applied to a different market. I think innovation is really where you take the new technology that's available, but like apply it to a specific problem. So innovation really is the intersection between uh, technology and then and then a problem statement or, or, or something that's changing on the like need side of the equation for your users. So innovation is more like an, an outcome. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and it takes a lot of input, I suppose, whether it's tool, whether it's ideas in order to generate an outcome mm -hmm. named innovation. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to remember that innovation is not invention all the time too. The picture should not be like a light bulb going on. It's never <laughs> like this moment in time. It's usually a process. I think the overnight successes are a decade in the making. It's like very, very true, I think. And that's, that's true of innovation. It's a very like long arc that requires strategy and iteration to really, to really make a difference. It's not in a, like an inventor sitting somewhere with like this like light bulb moment. Yeah. Could you give us a, a specific example that when you say about technology is actually a tool for innovation? Yeah. So what are some of the examples that you may have well, that speaks I, that well? I, like, I think one, one that I comes to mind and just is relevant to us is the, the iPhone too. So it was actually really funny. Like when the iPhone shipped in 2007, there was a Time Magazine cover that had it on the, on the, the front page. It was like invention of the year. Um, mm -hmm. And do you remember that? Yeah. And, and for me, that was not exactly the correct understanding of how that product came to life. It wasn't like it, you know, emerged fully formed from, you know, Steve Jobs head, basically the whole reason that that product could exist was because a number of different enabling technologies were on like very long evolutionary paths that like led up to that. It was a combination of mass storage, flash storage that was very small and low cost with cellular technologies, with touchscreen technologies, with mini miniaturization and the advance of, of modern operating systems as well that could actually run in like resource efficient ways on the phone. So the fact that that all came together was the result of, you know, decades of iterative work for all those like ingredients and evolutionary paths that really led into that as well. And innovation is like that whole thing happening. So mm -hmm. I think that's, you have to approach innovation with that same mindset and not really like you're, you're, the focus shouldn't be around, I'm going to have this like clever idea that I'm going to think of in a room myself. It's really going to be about like, let me open my eyes and see what the most exciting evolutionary trends are that, are hap that have been happening for the last 10 years. Like where are those converging and where are those convergent points? Where's there a spark there? That's, that's going to be something, especially something. Yeah, that's very interesting. Go so back to this like engine of the ecosystem mm -hmm. for innovation. Do you think, uh, you know, we can do multiple choices, right? Do you think it's actually people, it's actually skill, it's actually creative ideas, it's actually technology? What exactly? It's I know it's a very complicated, right? Yeah, Gigantic yeah. system. It involves almost everything, you know, we're living. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering about, you know, if you were all prioritizing the source of innovation, right? It really coming from somewhere. And then, you know, whether a university, whether a community that we should really 
kind of encourage more of that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what would you focus on? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of both. I think innovation really happens like at again the intersection of those trends when they overlap, and that requires like people to sit at those intersections too. I think, mm-hmm. and so I think innovation usually um, comes from people with interdisciplinary backgrounds or small groups of interdisciplinary people working together. It's usually some you know, components of one industry or technology and with, or somebody with in really personal insight to a need that come together where that innovation happens too. So I think really facilitating those interdisciplinary like gatherings and exchanging of information, I think really, really helps facilitate that too. I see. Um, one of my favorite TV shows ever, people haven't seen this, is the show Connections. This guy James Burke did in the back in the 70s. Like it's all online uh, now, the internet archive, you can find it. But he just tracks these like amazingly complex and surprising kind of evolutionary journeys of of information technology or nuclear physics from, you know, water wheels to punch tapes to guidance, mental guidance control systems. And I think go watch a few of those. They're very entertaining and also like old school and really charming way. But I think that really paints a very tangible example of how crazy the leaps are and the little spark gaps that fire between ideas happening. And it's just, it's really hard to ever be able to predict. It's more about creating like ingredients in the environments for those, for those um, innovations to emerge. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Now I give you a break. Oh, nice. (laughs) How about you? Ask me a question. Yeah. Uh, It's a little bit of a two-part, two-part question, but in your day-to-day like work very broadly now, like, do you think you're, do you feel inspired? I do. Yeah. What inspires you? Like, what are your sources of inspiration? I feel like impact. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there we all, each of us have a lot to offer, right? But I think what's uh, equally important and also we cannot get more or less is your time. So you only got 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So it's really your decision in terms of where do you invest those time. Yeah. And uh, I would love to see that my investment of the time generating some impact that beyond me. Mm-hmm. And it could even be beyond our generation. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my source of inspiration to get involved with university, with UC San Diego to begin with. Uh-huh. And, you know, when I teach my class innovation to market, that I feel like if at one time I'm able to talk to 100 students and make some impact in to make them more successful in the future or help them along the way. And I feel like that tangible impact is really what I'm looking for right now. Can you say more about how you think about impact? Because like different people have different versions of impact, like what goals or missions are important to them or how they evaluate the scale of their impact. Like what is impact to you? I would say maybe improve the quality of life mm-hmm. or your quality of uh, your happiness. Mm-hmm. So if you overall feel like you're more equipped with the tool that you needed and then you're ready to go out there to make a difference and to demonstrate that what you can do, the capability that you mentioned earlier. Um, I think once that happens, for example, if they, you know, create a great idea, but they have difficulty to move to the next step, now we helped them. Or, you know, they wasn't sure about after they graduated, now they got an opportunity for interview. Mm-hmm. And there's certain soft skills that we taught them at the school, and they feel like they utilize that to gain, you know, the opportunity for interview, and then they eventually maybe land a job. Mm-hmm. I think those are all the impacts that I I feel like I can quantify them. I feel like I can justify that. Mm-hmm. Why do I spend the time doing something like that? Nice. Thanks. I got, I got three questions. Then. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So we start picking the audience questions. So here comes one. What characteristic do you look for in the founders of startup you want to invest in? Ooh, Good yeah, question. that is a great question. And that's like of all of our decision criteria, that's probably the most important thing in our minds. I think like very similar to what we were talking about before, the interdisciplinary nature of our founders is is very important to us. Like we're often looking for kind of the the answer to like why now, like why their product should exist. And the answer and so a lot of the answer to that is usually a unique insight that the founder has that maybe not many people have. So kind of that origin story of like why they developed their strategy and decided to work on this thing full time is is really important to us. But that's like one hurdle. But usually if, if somebody has a good idea that hopefully is pretty unique, but it's rarely 100% unique. Like if one person has a good idea, there's probably like 10 people having the same good idea. And so we're, we're then also trying to ask ourselves, is this the team to bet on? And like, do we think they're going to win? And so we, we really like think about what like the attributes that would make that true. And for us, there needs to be a high level of passion about what they're working on. Um, they have to be like in it for the mission, not for the money of building the company. Like the money will come, I think, if there is a passion. But running a small company is hard and there's lots of like twists and turns and pivots and very dark, hard times in, in running a company. Um, so we're really looking for people that have a high level of energy, personal passion and grit and what they're working on. We also look for people that are good learners as well, um, because like we're talking about, they're fundamentally like doing a new thing. Um, And so we care way more about their ability to like iterate and learn quickly than we do necessarily in their like deep expertise, I think. Um, expertise can be nice as a proof point of being a fast, of a quick learner, but more often than not, they're doing a new thing. And we want to like convince ourselves that they're going to succeed at that, not doing an old thing. Yeah. So I wanted to maybe little deep dive into passion, Yeah. Right? And when we see people that who is really passionate about certain things or certain ideas, are you looking for the founder that who actually persistently, you know, pursuing the passion that in their version, or do you actually prefer them to learn quickly and, you know, be more flexible in terms of the future? Like I can see both sides working. So what's your experience and where most of the founder being successful on which spectrum? I think you really need both, um, which is a little bit of a cop-out answer, but if there's extremes, like there's some people that are just passion-based and are not flexible and they like often will be, can be stubborn and like not find the way to success because they're just banging their head against something over and over again. They don't, they don't learn. But then there's also the opposite end of the spectrum where if you're purely flexible and you don't know where you're going, you're just kind of, it's just a random walk and you're just looking for an opportunity. And sometimes those people do like kind of you know, pivot themselves into a good business, but that's these days, it's very hard to hire and and build a great team around yourselves. And so you really need an inspirational story. And and I think being, have enough vision that you can inspire and hire a great team to go work on a thing with you. And so you really do need that, somebody that knows that North Star and what the goal is and can be able to communicate and inspire a team to to do that. But then they have to be able to also be flexible enough to, to get their way there eventually. Yeah. So I'm going to go with both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, life is not easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the other question here, many foreign governments have heavily funded innovation budgets within their country. Do you think the U.S. government should consider using part of the trillions of dollars of goodies to fund the U.S.-based company in developing new technologies so that we are more competitive? In general, yes. But I I think about that money needs to have like an investment mindset. I think the idea is that you're 
helping like start a flywheel and turn the crank of something that's going to be eventually be sustainable in and of itself so that your you know small investment will reap larger and larger rewards in the future and, and create value for the ecosystem i think the bad version of that is when it's more of a subsidy than an investment and you're like propping up something that should die and extending its lifetime uh, in a way that's not going to be sustainable so i think it really depends on the um, approach that those like financial incentives are, are applied but i think they can be very positive and with the with the right mindset, we yeah totally should be making good investments. Okay. One more question here. After graduating from college, would you recommend fresh graduates to work at large corporations or small business startups? I'm going to take the cop out both road on this again too. Like it really, really depends on people's individual interests. Um, I'll maybe just talk about some of the like decision criteria, think, things you might think about. Large corporations can be great sometimes because of mentorship that exists. Like there's oftentimes senior people that you can work under and learn from and really kind of go through. You can really have accelerated learning at, at some of those places because of the high level of experience and talent from your peers. Where at a small business, there's oftentimes only like one person doing every job. And so if you're brand new, you're kind of just like figuring it out yourself. And there's, you know, some positives to that, but there all, that also can be like a uh, can slow your learning. If you're making a lot of mistakes that could be short-circuited by just working from someone that's working with someone that's done that before, but you're like getting this new experience of like how to do things new yourself. Um, and so that can be interesting as well. Um, I place a lot of value on going through like full life cycles of, of a thing, like going from like defining a thing and iterating it and shipping it and deciding whether it's good or not and feeding that into the next thing. So I would like a big thing for me is just looking at how quickly you're going to go move through those cycles at any given opportunity. There's some startups that like toil on their product for a decade. Uh, and, and there's also some big companies that are super slow, uh, but there's some small companies that ship really quickly and some, some large companies that do as well too. So I would really like optimize for speed of learning. And I think for me, a big part of that is finding an organization and, and kind of product categories that move really quickly and, and, and ship often. Mm. Another question about the innovation cluster. So besides Silicon Valley, are there any other cluster are you watching? I'm most excited about like non-geographic clusters of people. I think there's amazing um, online communities that are that are you know you know developing in a number of different categories, and and I'm like more and more excited for people to be able to form those organizations without geographic boundaries, really. So I think that's really kind of an, an interesting emerging thing to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. But are those uh, cluster kind of you know if they're not defined by the geographic boundary, what are they defined by? Mm-hmm. I think some of those are just, you know, people getting together um, and having a culture of sharing ideas and bringing resources together, both like money and talent and time um, to work on those ideas together um, and, and being supportive of people when they fail, helping disseminate learning like amongst the community so everyone can get smarter as a group quickly. And then like for the success, for example, mm-hmm. an example would be like an alumni group, uh, things like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that can be, that can be a great, yeah, a great example. So I think that for me, it's more about those like characteristics existing as being like an indicator of a good, of a good um, community. Yeah. I also feel like the sort of the alum group from Apple and Google that, you know, my personal experience also works very well, although we're not a kind of university defined, but more about industry defined, yeah. right? Maybe you could call it a high tech industry or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Absolutely. And they they could be geographically located in anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How much do you take into account the social and environmental sustainability of a startup 
in your investment decisions? Um, a lot. I think, you know, sustainability is an especially exciting one. Like we, we talked about a lot of the consumer trends that are existing now. So for us, that's really, I think, creating the opportunity to build, to build valuable companies that, that prioritize sustainability um, and, and the impact that's having. But also at a very fundamental level, if you're able to deliver your product or service with, with fewer resources, like that's good for sustainability and that's great for business too. So there's lots of ways that just running a good business aligns with running a sustainable business. And so that's really exciting. And we want to like put capital towards people that are kind of working in that mode. Also just importantly for founder culture too, like the founders we work with really care about the social and environmental impact of their startup too. And so our job is to like help them build the company of their dreams too. And, and a big part of that is helping them build like an ethical company um, that's having a, a like meaningful and positive impact in their community's day-to-day life. You know, they want to go home to their families uh, at night and over the holidays and have people know what they're doing and feel good about it too. And so that's an important thing for us in like prioritizing the ways that we like support companies. And we think that's, that's very well aligned with those companies succeeding, the founders being happy, them hiring talented, talented, smart people and retaining them. So, um, so it's really important. It's more of an internalized and integrated mm-hmm. goal. You exactly. know, wow, that's beautiful. So you have tried many different roles within the innovation ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? So from like new product development to funding members to hardware, software, engineering, investment. What else do you want to do? Oh, man. I love creative projects as well. So I I wish I had more time to get kind of involved in some weird non-commercial art projects (laughs) to some degree. So Mm -hmm. I try to carve out a fair amount of time for that on the side, but, but like that, that'd be fun to to work on more. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds fantastic. So to conclude our conversation today, what advice do you have for our students who will lead the future of the innovation ecosystem? I think a big thing is to appreciate that large scale impact like rarely happens as an individual effort. And it's really, it's really a a team effort. So the way that you like make friends and achieve things in like efficient, happy ways with people like really matters and like judging yourself on that, like developing the communities of people that you can work with, like checking to make sure that like the people you've worked with before are happy about that and really like being critical about that and being open and getting better and better about that um, will, I think, affect the impact you can have on the um, on the work that you're doing. Yeah. And I think really just appreciating that everything's a team sport, I think is really, really critical. Mm. I actually recently had this idea, you know, when we say network, network, right, it's very important mm-hmm. because you cannot do everything yourself and you need a group of people to do that. And so network is really two words, right? Net plus work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious about it because a lot of people actually have a hard time to maintain a network. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people can you really reach out and totally. keep an active conversation going on? So, you know, the net might be there is because you path has crossed, you know, at one point in your life. But how would you work hard enough or smart enough in a way to keep the network alive? Well, like a good network is not necessarily the biggest network either. I think I think the the strength of the network can be like how tight and trusted the bonds are, how the right complements of skills, even in like a one or two person, like a two person team, like come together it can be like that's that's a network that can be really powerful. I think like the biggest thing is like figuring out like what's working and and like embracing like the smallest possible networks that's like having the the effect that you're that you're looking for and i think like you don't don't have to optimize for for size of network basically so it's really quality 
much more meaningful than the quantity. Mm -hmm. In most cases, I think. I think there's some like exceptions to that, but yes. Yeah, yeah. I see. All right. So Tyler, thank you very much for spending time with us today Absolutely. and sharing your stories. And I hope to welcome you back to UC San Diego soon. That'd be great. Thanks thank for you having so me. much. And thank you everyone online joining us as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Oceanside Chat. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you liked it, please share this podcast and stay tuned for our next episode. We'll see you later.